Good afternoon. It's Friday, February 24th. This is Chickie Fitzgerald with the Executive Girlfriends Group, and our guest today is Deborah Kolb, and Deborah is one of the co-authors of a book called Her Place at the Table, and the subtitle of the book is A Woman's Guide to Negotiating Five Key Challenges to Leadership Success. And Deborah, as I was mentioning, the Executive Girlfriends Group, uh, we sometimes have folks on live, but we have a lot of folks who uh, listen to it on the go uh, at their own schedule. So uh, mm-hmm. if you could just give us a little bit of your background for our listeners. Sure. Well, so I've been a professor um, of women in leadership for years, as well as negotiation. So I taught at Simmons College at the Graduate School of Management, and I was the head of the program on negotiation at Harvard Law School. And so I have been very interested in helping women succeed in organizations. And I run a lot of executive leadership programs for women. I've been involved in those for a number of years. So several years ago, I wrote a book called The Shadow Negotiation. It then became Everyday Negotiation, which was a book about, it started out as a book about helping women, what I call master the hidden agendas of bargaining. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was that's a book really sort of about how to negotiate. But one of the things that I was coming in contact with in all my consulting and executive teaching was that women were missing the opportunity to negotiate about the things that would make them successful. Uh, They didn't have backing or resources. They didn't really think about how people were going to see them in a new leadership role. And I always thought that when you take on a new leadership role, you're kind of vulnerable. People are looking to see what is you're going to do. And so actions that you take in that first few months are really important. So we wrote this book in order to help women think about the key things they needed to negotiate when they took on a leadership role. And well, we found that when, Deborah. Oh, yeah. no, go ahead. I'm, I'm go ahead. sorry. I thought you were finished with your thought. No, no that's okay. please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, that's all right. I, 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 I'm done with that part. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Now, I was just going to say, when I saw the title, uh, you know, the title just so intrigued me because mm-hmm. I thought about women who really actually believe that they have a place at the table or they should have a place at the table right. and that they've earned their right to be at the table, but that they still feel that they have to prove that right. And and, and I guess that that uh, really is the essence of what negotiating that position is, is right. first because, convincing, right. convincing yourself that you really do. Right, but I think it's more than that. I think that one of the things we know about sort of the way gender operates in organizations, there's always questions that are going to be asked when a woman is put in a top leadership role. And she ha- so negotiating for the things that she needs to succeed is really not just something that she has to do for herself, but has to do with how she shows her legitimacy in the role that she's in. So let's talk about some of those things, because you really break this into five uh, major components. Uh, And let me just walk through the five first, and then we're going to go down and and actually drill uh, into each of those. And and the first one is to drill deep. Right. Uh, this is all about negotiating the intelligence for informed decisions and then mobilizing your backers, garnering resources, bringing people on board, and then being able to actually finally make a difference. So let's talk about some of the the common uh, misconceptions or the common things that happen when someone gets uh, promoted. And, you know, folks sit back and say, you know, she looks like she might be right, but, you know, let's just wait and see. So right. how do you how do you counteract that? Well, so I think the first thing is whenever you're asked to take on a role, you need to understand why you, why now. 
And I always think that people think that their choice, what we call a faulty assumption, is the choice is yes or no. And it really isn't the choice. The choice is what do you need to negotiate to make this fit who you are? Because one of the things we know is women often get offered jobs they don't exactly want, right? <laughs> it might be uh, they might be a staff job. It might be to run uh, you know run an office when really the kind of work that you want to do is <clears throat> is you know working with clients. So the issue is how do you make the job one that fits with who, with who you are? So mm-hmm. I think what I always like to say in this. It, you, you need to understand why you, why now. You know, people don't often think about that. They get asked to do something, they think it's a great opportunity, they want to be a team player, they're flattered, but they don't really think about how they negotiate to make the job fit who they are. Let me just tell you a little story about that, that that's in the book. It was a woman who was a very senior marketing person in a large uh, manufacturing organization. And, you know, at her level, she couldn't say no because she wouldn't get offered other opportunities. I think you have to say yes at some point. But the job was a real global job and it required a lot of travel. And she had two teenage daughters. And she didn't want to have that travel. So she negotiated a way to promote two of the people who worked for her. She could have the global oversight. They would do a lot of the travel. And it was a win for her and a win for her people. So it was by knowing what it is that she needed and understanding what it is they needed, why they were asking her to do this job in this role. And so one of the things you want to do when you're asked to take this role is understand a little bit about why you, why now, and then get information. What kinds of things do people ask for when they take these kinds of roles? Sometimes people are asked to lead a turnaround, and this happens a lot with women. They're asked to lead change. They call it the glass cliff. And so one of the things you want to negotiate in those circumstances is what's the expectations for the turnaround? You may be doing a great job and bring something to break even, but that was not necessarily the expectation. So, So the key thing is really trying to understand what would make you say yes to this role and really thinking about it and then negotiating about it. And I think, you know, we sometimes think, well, we should just say yes, but that really isn't the answer. It's always a yes and from my perspective. And so is that what you're describing is this mutual intelligence gathering process? Yes, intelligence gathering, trying to find out what people, why people are asking you and what other people get when they're, what's the title they get, what's the compensation, right. what's the expectations, what the support for an action. Maybe it might even be a safety net if it doesn't actually, um, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you another story. It's about a woman who was a managing director in an investment bank. And she aspired to a higher, larger role in tax, which is the group that she was heading. But she got a, got a call from the head of investment banking in Europe, and he asked her to be the country head of Hungary. She certainly didn't <laughs> want to do that, right? I mean, it was like, right. what kind of job is that? But she felt like she couldn't say no because the head of the firm called her up and said it's going to be a great opportunity for her. So why, why – she needs to know why they ask her to do it. Well, it's a, it's a country that's really having trouble. They think it's got a lot of potential. They think she's really good at it. But she knows that there's going to be a lot of questions about her experience. She's never run a country before. She's been a functional leader. So she right. needs to figure out what she's going to need in order to succeed in that role. And that's what drilling deep about intelligence is. Why did they ask her to do this job? And it's because she has a track record of building good teams. Right. And right. the people in that office have a reputation of going off in different directions. They need somebody who could really build a team. And so once she knew that, 
um, it was it was it was important for her. Once she knew it, she could then negotiate what she needed to succeed. So I say, you know, you can't get what you want if you don't know what you want. So drilling right. deep for intelligence is trying to help you figure out what you want. Well, and then that seems to lead, uh, you know, very neatly into the next one, which is once you know what you want, once you say yes. Once you get to that common ground, then you need to mobilize the backers that are going to help you be successful in negotiating for that critical support of achieving uh, what you have laid out uh, in your expectations. Right. So I say, you know, the the faulty assumption that we make is that your appointment speaks for itself, that when you get put in a position like that, people sort of understand why you're there, but they really don't necessarily. Um, you know, and so one of the things we know is that people often get tested in a new leadership role. When I give a talk like this at a conference, I often ask people, how many of you, when you took up a leadership role, thought you were being tested? And practically everybody raises their hand, right? So one of the things you need to think about is understanding, now from, from Chapter 1, you've understood why you've gotten the job, but now you need to figure out how are people going to see you? What do you need to be successful? And where are you vulnerable? And how is your value going to be made visible? Uh, and I think this is, you know, one of the things that happens is people get offered a role and it gets announced on email. But people don't know the reason behind what it is, the reason that people have selected you for this role. Um, so, you, so one of the things you want to do is get and negotiate for the authority and support you need in that role. So sometimes you're, you have a role and you have a dot, you, the people who are reporting to you in a dotted line relationship, but in order to do what you need to do, you're going to need them in a direct line. So maybe you need to negotiate reporting relationships. Maybe you need to negotiate your team. But one of the key things you need to negotiate is who's got your back? Who's going to make the case for why you, why now to people so that they understand what it, what the reason is that you're in that role and they have some expectations about what you're going to do there. I sort of call it strategic positioning. I'll tell you another story about the woman's executive vice president and administration at a large um, multi-divisional media company. And she needed to she had a whole agenda that the CEO gave her about how to integrate these divisions. And so she was working with all the heads of HR. Of course, all of them wanted the job (laughs) that she got. And she had no control over their performance reviews or their compensation. And getting them to work together became really difficult because she didn't negotiate that key thing that she needed. So it's recognizing the support you need, who has your back, and having a conversation with that person about the kind of support you're going to need so you know they're there for you. And I think we sometimes women have, are hesitant to ask for help like that, but I think it's absolutely critical to the role. Exactly. And, you know, it's interesting, Deborah, because I've, I've spent the bulk of the last 15 years as an entrepreneur uh, in, in a service business. And uh-huh. while I, I have run very large teams, I don't have a large organization. I, I put together purpose-built teams. And it occurs to me in looking at both of these first two items that even for, for those people who are, are uh, solopreneurs or entrepreneurs, the why you, why now can also apply to big contracts. And Absolutely. and the same thing of your appointment speaks for itself. I mean, I remember, well, in, in a, a very large uh, new business venture that I was working on, you know, we had signed up one of the top uh, online travel agencies as our launch partner. 
And uh-huh. we thought that the contract with them spoke for itself and that right. automatically because the CEO had been the one to say, if you build it, we'll put it on our site, that right. that would relate all the way down through the organization. And as you know, I'm sure you can anticipate me saying, we thought we had the authority. We thought he had his support. We thought he had lined up right. all of the, the people internally to, to support us and that somebody did have our back, but they didn't. So I think the right. interesting thing about this particular book is that while it's written, um, you know, primarily for people who are in a corporate uh, kind of infrastructure, that there there are also uh, nuggets that I think that entrepreneurs will really, really find useful. Right. You know, I would also say, you know, when an entrepreneur is going to get funding, yes, who are the people who have your back in uh, trying absolutely. to get that funding from wherever they come from, whether, you know, yeah. whether you're big enough or it's a VC, but whatever, you know, that – you're, what you're proposing doesn't speak for itself. Those kinds of relationships are absolutely critical to people believing that you're the right person in the role. Yeah, and I'm really glad you mentioned that because uh, in, in particular for women-owned businesses who are trying to go out and get uh, major investment, um, you know, it is very, very difficult because there are very few women in the absolutely. venture community. And uh, so finding that uh, is just so important. And, and questions and so about again, you will be mm-hmm. – Questions about you be asked and the degree to which you think about those questions and figure out how to deal with them Yes, um, is big. Yes, and so that that takes us into uh, challenge number three, which is about garnering resources. And, and just to yeah. kind of piggyback on what you've just said, you know, particularly if you've been an entrepreneur before or done an early-stage startup without very much, the notion that, oh, well, she can do more with less. She's done it in the past. Kicks exactly. Right so how do you avoid that common trap? And, again, both okay. in a corporate role where you're moving in and taking over hungry or you've just – uh, gotten your first round of funding, and you know in your heart of hearts that it's not sufficient. Right. So I guess one of the I think one of the, the faulty assumptions is you you think you can do it with less. And in corporations, I think this is probably a little bit different than the entrepreneurial thing. Roosevelt Cantor, who wrote this book many many years ago, Men and Women of the Corporation, said that if you can't command resources, people question your power and influence. So it isn't just that you need the resources to get the work done. If you can't get them, people are wondering, should they follow you? Are you a leader that they want to follow? And I think women make the mistake of, you know, somebody, you know they say time is tight and I, 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 funds are tight. I want to be a good team player. And they don't negotiate for the resources that they need. And then, first of all, they have a hard time getting the work done. But second is they don't recognize the symbolic aspect of that. And I don't know how that translates into the entrepreneurial field. How would that translate? Oh, no, I think it, it has a direct correlation. Uh-huh. But the interesting thing about, uh, and you use the example of people uh, who go out and try to raise money, what I have heard in, in the venture world is that women come in and ask for exactly what they need. They've already right, And don't recognize this a negotiation. <laughs> yeah, they've squeezed every bit of fat out. Men come in. Right with the padded numbers and expect to be crunched down. And so right. women actually get less because right. they get crunched down over what they already knew was completely and totally reasonable. Right. Right. So, so, And again, yeah. then if you can't command the resources that you really need and say, no, I put together these numbers because I believe them to be as precise as possible, and if I don't have this, you know, I might be able to play, but I can't compete or win. Right, right. 
So I think there's lots of ways to, you know, I mean, I think the reality is in organizations today, funds are tight. And so you want to be creative about how to get what you need to succeed, even if you can't get exactly what you want. You can think about how you could phase in something. So you might say, okay, I'm willing to start this at this amount, but then we're going to beef it up, especially right. if it's successful, right? Yeah, so that you connect with your outcomes with what you need, right? And those are contingent agreements which are really important in negotiation, right? So right. you're not saying, I'm going to achieve everything. Let's, let's cut out the piece I am going to achieve with this amount, and then we'll phase it in. You could find ways to share resources with others. Yes. Um, another thing is to really adjust expectations so that you're not committing to do something that you don't have the resources to do. And what I always tell people is you need to be creative that no may be just the beginning, <laughs> and and I tell people, you know, you need to be prepared for no because people are going to say no, and how are you going to come back? And sometimes when they say no, they say no in a way that challenges your competence, like, you know, this is totally unrealistic what you're asking for. Right. Um, and when people say those kinds of things, well, this will never work. Where did you get those numbers from? They're unrealistic. And what happens is they can start to challenge your sense of competence in those negotiations. Mm-hmm. So if you thought about, if you know the people you're going to be dealing with and you think about the kinds of things that they tend to tell you, you can come in with a way to deal with those challenges for no. So somebody says, you know, this budget's way out of line with what you can deliver, you might be able to say, boy, that surprises me. Let's go over my assumptions and see where you think my assumptions don't work. Because what they were hoping to do was when they say your budget's out of line, they were hoping you to make a concession. But by not going into that place, by saying, I'm surprised. Let's look at where you're coming from, where I'm coming from. I think my numbers are right. So it's understanding where people are going to say no to you and um, and having ways to come back. I, at my earlier book, I call it Moves and Turns. Uh-huh. People make moves, and you have to find ways to turn them. Right. One of the key moves that, you can, that can really shut people up is they say, you know, I really need your help on this. It was a flattery thing that you mentioned earlier. Right. And it's sort of intended to say, you know, or oh, you're so good at this, I know you can do it for less. <laughs> and so you want to have a way to come back from those things because you don't want to be in the situation where you're going to do it for less and not succeed. Exactly. Well, it occurs to me that this book could also be very, very useful in helping us navigate husbands who always begin with no before you get right. to yes. Um, I think so. You know, I've been right. married to a man like that for 21 years who right. it's just, it's culture for him. You know, he doesn't even right. really even think about doing it, but now the kids are calling him out on it. And right. Say, Why is right. it that you always say no before you even hear the argument? Right. So uh, I, I think I've got right. some learning to do in, in that front as well. <laughs> So, you know, the next thing, and and once you've gotten the resources you need, typically the next thing that you have to do is to bring people on board, and not only physically on board of hiring the right people in, but getting getting their hearts aligned with their minds and and their actions reflecting that. Right. So, you know, one of the things, the, the faulty assumption is that the resistance to you and your agenda will take care of itself, that, you know, you'll come in, you have a good agenda about what you want to do, and people will come around. <clears throat> the problem is often when you come into a new role, there's one of two things that are happening in that role. 
sometimes you're coming in and you're, you're picking up on sort of turf of other people or you're succeeding somebody who, who is beloved by the person whom you took over from. But more than likely, you're coming in with a new agenda, some kind of agenda for change. And people resist change. And so um, when you come in, you need to expect that resistance, and you need to find ways to deal with it. So, you know, I always like to talk about this thing, listening to learn, trying to understand what people's good reasons are for resisting you. So when I teach this stuff, I often say, you know, we think of ourselves as strategic, seeing the big picture, we act in our organization's best interests, we're collaborative and flexible. Those people that are resisting, they're short-term thinkers, they're out for themselves, they're rigid, they're uncooperative, they're narrow thinkers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I always say to people, nobody wakes up in the morning, looks at herself in the mirror and says, I'm a short-term thinker, out for myself, rigid and uncooperative. (laughs) We all think we operate out of good strategic reasons. Right. And so one of the things what you're trying to do is to try to find, to try to understand people's five good reasons either to say no to you or to resist you. And those good reasons are reasons in their own terms. And if you understand some of those good reasons, first of all, you might be able to get them to talk to you about it, but then you can find ways that you might be able to start by creating some small wins that they could they could join. <clears throat> there was a woman that we interviewed from our book. She was uh, she was not an engineer by training, but she came to take over a big engineering group. And the person she took over from was totally beloved. And the uh, um, the people that were reporting to her were very worried about how was she going to be able to protect them. They were worried about losing their jobs because the economy was in a downturn and they were losing business. The first thing that she did was she used her connection, and she, she knew that. She learned that about them. That's what they were worried about, about her. And so what she did was she used her connections in the company to make sure that these people, these engineers, could work on internal problems when the business, the client side, fell down. Once she did that, they knew that she was on her side. So, you know, understanding what people's resistance are and thinking if you can find some kind of small win that satisfies what their concerns are goes a long way to building their support for you. And so once you've gotten all of these four big challenges behind right. you and, and you're, you're, you actually are making a difference, how can right. you make sure that people do know about it? Because, again, right. you, you know, know that the common is trap re- is that, that people think that, right. well, if you're doing a good job, then we'll know about it. Um, how do you ensure that things are in place? Right. So, that you're so I think that's a really big deal. You know, we, call it the, we often call it the tiara syndrome. You think that if you're doing a good job, every little notice, and a tiara will fall on your head and you'll be a princess. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is, if you're really doing a good job, people do not know because things are humming along. And you have to, there's a balance between trying to claim a lot of value for your work, which might be seen as pushing on the part of women, and finding ways to make it obvious for people to see what you're doing. Of course, allies are really important. But the other thing is is to show the value in a currency that has value for the organization. Mm-hmm. So Kathy Benko um, was a very senior leader at Deloitte. When she took over the Women's Initiative, it was, you know, the Women's Initiative, what, how is that con- 
contribute to the strategic initiatives of the firm. First of all, she got herself on the in the beginning of the, my story. She gets herself on the management committee, which is a big deal. That that's when she negotiated. Right. But the other thing is she had to show value in a currency that had value. So she had to show how leading the women's initiatives can lead to business for Deloitte. And so she came up with this idea of mass career customization, which was then a product that they could sell. Um, so you know. Uh, Trying to, when uh, Pat Philly Cruchel, who's an executive, went over and took over ABC Daytime and then became head of the ABC network, she knew that in the summertime there was a slack of the, in, the, in the network um, uh, viewership. And so what she tried to do was have her hot uh, soap operas have big deal programs in that um, summer slot. You know, some people would get married so they could do it in prime time. So the idea is that you're trying to show your value in a currency that has value. So you don't go and ha- you don't have to you don't have to say I'm doing these great things, but they look like they're really contributing because you're doing something strategic. So I you know this idea about having swing people, allies who can say things and make a case for you that that you don't have to necessarily make for yourself. But, you know, it's really you want people to recognize that you have had this value and that it um, uh, and that really has contributed to the organization and in, in its bottom line. And so other people who can make that case for you are really important. We call them swing people. Hmm. You know, I, I find uh, a lot of what we do in, in our consulting is, is going out and, and looking at how people uh, measure uh, various things in their business, and right. that their if their metrics and their rewards aren't lined up with the strategy, um, you know, then people aren't repeating the right things. And I think once you've established those reward systems, you know, to make sure that your contributions are being recognized, that you know, taking that all the way down into your organization right. further assists in getting people on board because they they actually realize that they're they're right. recognized as well. Right. Right. It's, it's so funny. Just, I was watching. I was watching this yeah. morning uh, just because I was being lazy when I got home from taking the kids and working out. I sat and watched um, the show, and I'm forgetting the name right offhand. But the one where the CEO goes undercover, or maybe it's uh, called yeah. undercover CEO. I think and, so. Yeah. You know, I think so often what what CEOs do when when they go on that show is they find out that they've got all of these people in the organization that don't feel appreciated and don't feel recognized because the organization right. is measuring the wrong things. Yeah. So I think that I that think one can right. be very very powerful once right. you realize that. So right. so Deborah, tell us, you know, what is your favorite story out of this book, or, or people who've read this book and and called you back and said, you know, this has made such a change in my life. Right. So let me just tell you, but before I'm going to give you that one story, but I want to tell you one little thing, a piece of research that I did that I think is really important that sort of is, might be the nice story to end. We did a study. We have a big conference. We did a study. We interviewed over 500 women and asked them about negotiating in leadership roles, and we found, in fact, that women actually do negotiate a lot for leadership roles. And those who did, two things happened. One is they received higher performance reviews than women who didn't. And the second is they were more likely to be sent to leadership development programs than those who didn't. It was a win for them. And the second is that they were more likely to be satisfied with their jobs and less likely to leave their organization. So I, that's my definition of a win-win. If you can negotiate what you need to succeed, it's better for you and it's better and it's better for your and it's better for your organization. 
Um, so let me tell you a story about this. It's actually a story about why I wrote this book and a story about somebody who was helped. This was a woman who was put in the role. She worked for a professional service firm, and she was given a major role. She was promoted from her group of peers to be their boss. And, you know, when, you're, when, when that happens, everyone is asking themselves, why you? Why not me? And so she never got the backing that she needed. She never was figured out exactly why she was asked. She never got the resources that she needed. And two years later, she was still struggling to take control of that group. And so that's the reason I wrote the book, because of that situation. I don't want that to happen to women again, that 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 happens. So I think, you know, one of the things when I teach negotiation to women is they recognize how many opportunities there are to negotiate what they need to succeed. So I always say, it's always a yes and, it's never a no when people say something to you, or it's never just a yes, and trying to think, and yes and, here's what I need, here's the support I need, here's the resources I need, here's what I need to get buy-in, and here's the value of I've contributed, so that you really start to think about yourself as a negotiator, because I think in order to succeed, you need to negotiate what you need to succeed, and only you really know that. Well, Deborah, this has been just incredibly uh, instructive, and I think that folks will find that if they will pick up your book, whether they're in corporate America or they're an entrepreneur or a solopreneur, that finding out those five key challenges for negotiating your place at the table will be very, very useful. Again, the name of the book is Her Place at the Table. The author is Deborah Kolb, and she has uh, several co-authors, Judith Williams and Carol Frolinger. And, Deborah, can you tell folks where they can uh, get in touch with you and uh, where they can learn more about the work that you do in your research? Yes, so we have a website called negotiatingwomen.com. And in there we have lots of uh, things, talks we give, papers we've published. There's just a whole range of things that uh, people – it's a great resource. So it's negotiatingwomen.com. Carol Froelinger and I are the co-principals. And I think there's just lots of great stuff there about about negotiation. Well, terrific. Well, Deborah, for our uh, EGG members, our Executive Girlfriends Group members, they can get in touch with you directly on the EGG private uh, cube right. network. And we will make sure that uh, we also have the link to that website there uh, under your great. profile. And uh, we so appreciate you taking time on a Friday and uh, hope you have something fun planned for the weekend and that, that you get a little bit better weather up there in the, in the Northeast. Yeah, I hope so, too. Well, it was a pleasure speaking with you. I hope we'll speak again sometime. I'm working on a new book, so that will be good. <laughs> oh, great. Well, uh, yeah. definitely let Patty and I know when, when I that will. comes out. We would love to hear more about it. Sure will. Thanks a lot. Okay, Deborah. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, great. And if you'd like to learn more about the Executive Girlfriends Group, you can go to www.executivegirlfriendsgroup.com. Thank you for joining us.